الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد من الله على المؤمنين إذ بعث فيهم رسولا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم We've been covering over the last few days the essential components necessary to ignite within our hearts a passion for deen. And yesterday we spent ample time discussing the role the Qur'an plays in this regard. And we highlighted that the first step for anyone that's seeking nearness to Allah Ta'ala is that they have to have a deep and lasting relationship with the Qur'an. Now, the next step or the next component that's essential for the heart to grow is to develop an affinity with the Prophet The next step that's necessary in order for the heart to grow is to develop an affinity with the Prophet And we can't downplay the role of loving the Messenger Truthfully, it's impossible to progress in our relationship with Allah unless we deepen our relationship with Rasulullah. It's impossible to progress in our relationship with Allah unless we deepen our relationship with Rasulullah. To this regard, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran that if we want to earn Allah Ta'ala's love, then the way by which we do so is by mimicking the Prophet When he says, قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ If you're someone who claims to love Allah, or if you desire to love Allah, then follow the Prophet يُحْبِبْكُمُ اللَّهِ Then Allah Ta'ala will subsequently, Allah Ta'ala will consequently fall in love with you. Meaning that if you want Allah, then you have to go through Rasulullah In another verse, Allah Ta'ala says in the Qur'an, لَقَدْ مَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ إِذْ بَعَثَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا That Allah Ta'ala did a great favor on the believers. Allah Ta'ala, He did a great favor on the believers. إِذْ بَعَثَ فِيهِمْ رَسُولًا مِنْ أَنفُسِهِمْ When He chose a messenger from amongst them. يَتْلُوا عَلِيهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ To teach them the Qur'an, right? to recite the Qur'an to them, to purify them, to teach them the Kitab, uh, and to teach them wisdom. This was a great favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And anyone that wants to develop their relationship with Allah ta'ala, and it wants to ignite that passion within their deen, it is a must that they have an affinity with the Prophet It's a requirement. You can't get around it. You can't bypass Rasulullah with the hope or goal of getting to Allah. The mechanism Allah Ta'ala created is through the Prophet 
the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum understood this principle. And they were madly in love with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because they were madly in love with Allah. And they appreciated the fact that in order for them to become closer to Allah, the mechanism was through Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so they loved the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam more than they loved even their own families. And even more than themselves. When Umar radiallahu anhu went to the Prophet sallallahu and he says, Ya Rasulullah, I love you more than every single person in the world with the exception of me. And the Prophet sallallahu said, you haven't completed your faith. You have to love me more than you even love yourself. So Umar radiallahu anhu said, okay, I love you more than I even love myself. And the Prophet said, okay, now you've completed your faith. Meaning that in order for us to get to Allah Ta'ala, develop a deep and lasting relationship with Allah, then it is a must for us to love and have an affinity with the Prophet Now it's not easy to just love someone, right? It's not easy to, to love someone unless you develop that love for them, right? It can't force somebody to say, okay, you know what, you need to love the Prophet okay, But love is an emotion. It doesn't just happen out of the blue. It's, I mean, it'd be different if the Prophet ﷺ were here today. If he was sitting here, and we were to walk inside this door, and we saw him, and laid our eyes on him, there's a very strong possibility that that love would occur instantaneously because of the, uh, the, un, because of the beauty of the Prophet ﷺ internally and externally. That's very possible. You know, we see examples of Sahaba who were not Sahaba, and when they laid eyes on the Prophet ﷺ, they fell in love with him, and they fell in love with Allah. But that reality is not here today. So for someone to say that you need to love Rasulullah وسلم, you say, okay, I, I would love to love the Prophet وسلم, but tell me how. Right? How? How can I develop this affinity with him? And so I'm going to cover three ways by which we can do so. If we can bring these three things into our life, we can expect to develop an affinity with the Prophet وسلم. And the effect of that is that we develop, develop a deep affinity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a consequence. So what are those things? The first thing that we must do is we must appreciate or acknowledge what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did for us and what he will do for us. We must first appreciate what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did for us in order for the message to reach us and what he will do for us in order for us to succeed in the hereafter. We have to have a knowledge of this. We have to learn it. We have to study it. This is history, and it's history, but it's also revelation for what's to come in the future as well. So if we, for instance, recognize, okay, so let me take, let's take a step back. In order for us to love someone, we often have to have benefited from them, right? For instance, we, most people, almost everyone, has a love, has within their hearts a love for their parents, right? No matter how they may, have, may or may not have been treated when they were younger, people have an affinity with their parents. Why? Because everyone appreciates that what my parents did for me, no one else did for me, right? When I was sick, when, sorry, when I needed uh, attention, when I was just a couple of months old, my parents were there for me. You know, how did I come into this world? Because of my parents. When I was ill, who took care of me? My parents. Who got me through school? My parents. So because of what my parents did for me, and the sacrifices that they made for me, I have an affinity with them. You know, sometimes it's a mentor or a very close friend who you were going through a very challenging period in your life. And then 
that person helps you get out of it. Right? That person helps you get out of it, that situation or that challenge, and you develop a love for them because you appreciate the sacrifice that they made for you. They took you out of something, out of a place of extreme darkness. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a physician. And sometimes I have patients who, you know, when, we're, when I'm speaking with them, I'll ask them, oh, you've, seen, you've met such and such physician before. And so that person, that person saved my life. And that person saved my, I'd do anything for them. I'd give them my left kidney. And that person saved my life. They have an affinity because, they, because of something that was essentially done for them. The Prophet ﷺ underwent tremendous sacrifice in order for the message to reach you and I. Tremendous sacrifice. And if we appreciated this sacrifice, then we too would fall in love with him. Just to give you an example. That the Prophet said in a hadith, it's narrated in Tirmidhi and Ahmad, that he himself said that I have been harassed for Allah's sake like no other. I have been threatened for Allah's sake like no other. And for 30 days, myself and Bilal, radiallahu anhu, we, had, we didn't have enough food for a, a, a human being to live. For 30 consecutive days. There was enough food that that food could fit under the underarm of Bilal radiallahu anhu. Difficulty the Prophet underwent. You know, it comes in Ibn Ishaq, the story of Ta'if that we've heard. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, after undergoing tremendous difficulty during the year of Husn, the year of sadness, in which his wife Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passed away. And how did she pass away? Some historians say it was after the boycott where they had expelled the Prophet and his family from the uh, center of Makkah Mukarramah, expelled them. And that was such a difficult and trying time where they didn't get food, they no one was able to trade with them. And because of that, his closest companion, his best friend, you know that uh, the, the, the individual that was with him, the first person to accept Islam, right by his side, she passed away. And soon after she passed away, his uncle passed away, Abu Talib. You know, Abu Talib was his support. And it was after he, it was an, while he was alive that the Prophet ﷺ was protected, relatively protected. And it comes in narration that when Abu Talib had passed away, the Prophet ﷺ's harassment increased multifold because now the Quraysh were able to directly attack him because that layer of protection was now gone. And this was someone who was so close to the Prophet ﷺ that he took the Prophet ﷺ into his own home. It was like a father to him. He was a fatherly figure to him. He also provided him with protection and the support that this message needed. So Khadija passed away. Abu Talib passed away. It was a very difficult year. In fact, it's called the year of Huzn. And at this point, the Prophet ﷺ was so saddened by the circumstance and he felt like there's no one else that's going to listen to this message. So he decided to pursue the Valley of Ta'if. So he goes to Ta'if and he it communicates with uh, the leaders of, of Thaqif, which is the tribe of Ta'if. And with the expectation that they would be giving him a warm reception to this. And we know the story. The Prophet ﷺ wasn't welcome whatsoever. Right? He was uh, ridiculed and he was physically abused and tortured by the people of Ta'if. So much so that they pelted stones at him so that they could expel him from the city. Because they, had, they wanted nothing to do with him. The Prophet ﷺ, such a sincere individual who all he cared about was the betterment of people and he was physically tortured and expelled from the valley of Ta'if. He took his, uh, his aid, right, his adopted son with him. 
And uh, it comes in narration, the Prophet ﷺ was tortured and pelted and pelted and pelted that he was, uh, you know, in and out of consciousness. So Zayd who took him and he put him onto his shoulder and he carried the Prophet ﷺ out onto his own shoulders. And then they kept pelting Zayd also. They kept pelting Zayd. No, the Prophet ﷺ underwent such difficulty that day that physically he underwent difficulty. You know, it comes in narration that the blood that dripped down his legs it coagulated his feet to his sandals. It was stuck together. That's how much he was bleeding so profusely. So Zayd he takes the Prophet and he sits him down underneath this grape tree. Then he has the Prophet rest there. Now, in the distance, there's uh, Utbah bin Rabi'ah, one of the greatest enemies of the Prophet. Greatest enemies, outspoken against the Prophet. And he saw the condition of the Prophet ﷺ on that day, and even his heart softened. So he had his servant, Adas, and he told him, he picked off a bunch of grapes, took it in a plate, he gave it to Adas, and he said to Adas, go give this to the Prophet ﷺ. This is, the, this is someone who would do whatever he could to take away the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And when he saw the difficulty the Prophet ﷺ endured on that day, even his own heart softened. And he said, take this plate of grapes and give it to him. So Adas went and gave it to the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, Bismillah, and he ate it. And then the angel Jibreel ﷺ came to the Prophet ﷺ and he asked him, you know, tell me right now. If you give me the word, I will crush these two mountains. And it will crush everybody in between this valley because of the difficulties that they, they, uh, that they made you endure. Right? Just give me the word. You know, what, would, what would we do in that situation, right? I mean, today if we feel harassed or tortured, we, want, we wish all these you know, negative things upon people. And the Prophet ﷺ said, no. You know, first of all, he thought it was his own issue. He said, Allahumma ilayka ashku This is my own fault. You know, if I was any stronger, then this circumstance wouldn't have occurred. I'm just hopeful that my Allah is not upset with me. Right? And then... Uh, he says, no, my hope is that from amongst this group will come a progeny and that progeny will eventually worship Allah Ta'ala. And we know from history that from amongst the progeny of the city of Ta'if was a person by the name of Muhammad Nuqasim who was attributed, who's been attributed with bringing deen to the subcontinent. So if the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had not made, had not held off from that request of Jibreel Alayhi salam, if he gave in to that, that valley would have been crushed, the progeny wouldn't have become Muslim, and majority of us probably wouldn't be here today. The Prophet sacrificed so that the message could reach us. This was his sacrifice. And that was in this world. You know, it comes in other narrations, the Prophet said that no, one, no prophet experienced more difficulty than I experienced. Now, what's the reason he took on this difficulty? Did he know us? Did he ever see us? He doesn't know me by name. What was the reason that he took on this degree of difficulty? Because he wanted the message to reach us. And it doesn't stop here. The support of the Prophet doesn't stop after he passed away. It comes in narration that on the day of judgment, he'll be right there with us again. It comes in narration that on that difficult day, when, the, when Jahannam will be brought forth, 
It'll be such a difficult day that millions and millions of angels will be bringing, dragging Jahannam. And you'll hear it. People will hear the screams of Jahannam. And they'll become paralyzed. They'll flatten to the ground. And when they regain consciousness, they'll begin to worry and say, Nafsi, 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 myself, 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 myself. And every single person on that day will only be thinking about themselves. They, oh, everybody will be saying Nafsi, that even other prophets will be saying Nafsi. Prophets of Allah that received wahi. Prophets of Allah that received wahi will be afraid for themselves on that day that they won't be able to uh, support anyone on that day. And when everyone's looking around, there'll be only one voice, there'll be multiple voices, they'll just say, Nafsi, Nafsi, and they'll go to Prophet to Prophet, and no one will be able to help us on that day. No one. You know, and then a voice will be heard, it says, Ummati, 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 my Ummah, my Ummah, my Ummah. People will wonder, where is this voice coming from? And you'll we'll look and we'll see the Prophet his hands will be raised and he'll be making dua for his ummah. He'll be making dua for his ummah. And he'll make a sajda to Allah Ta'ala and that sajda will be such a concerned sajda that Allah Ta'ala as a result of it will start judgment on that day. You know, we... Uh, that day will be so difficult. The anxiety of that day will be so troubling for everyone that we'll reach a point where we'll say, Ya Allah, it doesn't matter what's going to happen to me, just start the Day of Judgment because this is such a difficult day. Wherever we end up, fine, so be it. But let this day start already. We can't handle it. We can't handle the physical torment and we can't handle the emotional torment of this day. So the Prophet's house will make a concern such that and then Allah Ta'ala as a result will, will, will cause the Day of Judgment to start. Now as people are being questioned one by one, the Prophet Sallallahu it comes in narration that his desire will be not to leave. His desire will be not to leave. And Allah Ta'ala will tell him that, you know, sit down, sit down. And the Prophet will think, if I sit down, I might be taken to Jannah. So he will stand and he'll hold on. He'll stand and not, and want, not want to leave until every single one from his ummah will enter Jannah. He'll, this is, will be his desire. Now, Wallahu Adam, how things will transpire on that day, but this is what we've been told. That the sacrifice that he made in his life and the sacrifices that he will make for us in the hereafter, it's more than any sacrifice anybody's ever made for us or will ever make for us. But the more we study his life, and in particular the hardships that he bore, and what he will do to support us in the future, the more we understand this and appreciate this, the more the affinity for the Prophet will grow within our hearts. And if we ignore this fact, or ignore these, uh, ignore these principles, it'll be difficult for us to bring this within our life. So the first thing, is to study the life of the Prophet and focus in on what did he specifically do for me? And what will he do for me? Because the more we can learn to appreciate this, the more we'll learn to appreciate him. The second, the second thing is that we should be consistently sending salawat on the Prophet this is, a, this is a food for the soul. This is a food for the soul. You know, there's only one deed in the Qur'an where Allah Ta'ala says that He Himself participates in that deed. Only one in the entire Qur'an. And then He says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ That He and His angels, Allah Ta'ala and His angels send peace upon the Prophet And then He says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا صَلُّوا عَلَيْهِ وَسَلِّمُوا تَسْلِيمًا That you too should send peace upon the Messenger the Prophet said another hadith, Man salla wahida, sallallahu alayhi ashra, that send peace upon the Prophet, send peace upon me once, and I will upon you, and sorry, and ten rewards will be guaranteed for you. 
So when we send salawat from the Prophet ﷺ, number one, we get rewarded. Number two, it helps us build an affinity with the Prophet ﷺ. Now when we think of salawat of the Prophet ﷺ, we think about certain circumstances. Somebody mentions it in a khutbah, so we say wasallam. Someone mentions him in a gathering, we say wasallam. Once a year we get together to remember him and we send salawat from the Prophet ﷺ. But that's not the reality of, of sending salawat. It has to be a daily uh, action. It has to be every day. Every day where we have some fixed number of salawat that we send on the Prophet Look, just like for Qur'an we mentioned yesterday, that in order for us to truly benefit from the Qur'an, we have to be consistent in reciting some portion every day. We're not random. We aren't random. We aren't people of randomness. We have, we have fixed goals for every single day of our life. So for Qur'an, we have a set goal. For salawat, on the Prophet ﷺ, we have to have a set goal. We're not haphazard. So we pick a number. That every morning and every evening, I'm going to send 100 salawat on the Prophet ﷺ, or 50 salawat on the Prophet ﷺ, and I'm going to do this maybe after Fajr, or after Maghrib, or after Isha. But every day, some consistent effort is going to be made to send salawat on the Prophet ﷺ. It's essential. It's essential for our soul. It helps our hearts grow, and it helps us develop an affinity with the Prophet ﷺ. That's number two. The third way by which we can develop an affinity with the Prophet such that it allows this passion of deen to grow within our hearts is to, is to visit him. Is to visit the Prophet You know, if the Prophet were alive today, would we go and see him? If he were alive today, would we go and visit him? We would. All of us would. And he said in a hadith that whoever visits me after my death, it's as if they visited me whilst I was alive. So we still have that option. We can't make the argument that, you know what, the Prophet said, if he were alive today, I would go visit him. He himself said that if you come visit me, even after I pass away, it'll be as if you visited me while I was alive. So, this is important. You know, we plan a lot of trips, a lot of vacations for our families. There's a lot of places that we like to go, warm places, sunny places, beaches, amusement parks. Sometimes we spend a lot of money. And it's okay to do that from time to time. But we should also take our families to go visit him. And we should make this a priority. We should make this a priority. You know, we live in a time, we live in a place where there is very little deen. And we have to connect with the sacred two places in which deen is still preserved. <coughs> One of which, of course, is where Rasulullah rests. You know, where else can you go and everyone you see around you is in the sunnah? You know, where else can you go and you show up at Maghrib on a Monday and everyone's preparing to break their fast? Everyone's preparing to break their fast. Where else can you go that when the Adhan is called, hundreds if not thousands of people are doing the exact same thing, which is walking toward the masjid? Where else do you see that? Now we take it lightly, we think that, you know what, I'll go when I'm older. Or I'll go visit the Prophet when I'm older. My kids are too young, I can't go right now. We can't wait. I mean, how many more children are going to lose their iman before we connect them to the haramain? How many more people are going to lose their connection with the Prophet ﷺ? You 
you know, before we decide that we're going to go. We have to make it a priority. What happens is that when we take our children, when we take our families to these places, and we take ourselves, two things happen. One is that it imprints on our mind what deen is really supposed to be about. You see deen alive. You see people excited about deen. You see people excited about salah. You see people excited about fasting. You see people excited about the sunnah of the Prophet Right? It, so it visually imprints these memories on your mind and you'll remember them for many, many years. And your children will remember them for many years. This imprinting that occurs in the mind, these memories that form, even from a young age, they'll remember it and they'll appreciate it. And then it imprints on the heart. These are very sacred, special places that we have today the opportunity to visit and we're not mindful of this. So we should be very particular about this and not wait until we're, we're desperately in need. You know, many a times I have, there are parents who come to me and say that, you know, uh, I, my child, I think, I think he's ready, he, he's about to leave the fold of deen. She's about to leave. And then they ask me, what should I do? I say, it's too late. It's too late. You have to play the game of prevention. You have to play the game of prevention. If we connect our children and we connect our families with the haramain, and they're able to visually see what a deen alive is like, then they're more likely to hold on to deen because there's hope. But when we're in a place and in a time where there's very little deen and that's all our children and that's all our families are used to, it becomes very tasking and troubling and we see exactly our condition today. But those people that make it a priority to take their families and themselves to the haramain to spiritually uplift themselves, the effect of it can be seen. So we have to make it a priority. Now, it's not practical. I, get, I understand that it's not affordable for many people. But if we make the intention number one and we begin to save, there are times of the year where these packages are very inexpensive. It costs more to go to Orlando, Florida than it would be to go to the Haram if you were to take your family. It's a matter of priority, simply put. It's a matter of priority. If I set aside money every single month with the intention that I'm going to take my family for Umrah so we can go visit the Prophet so we can go lay, lay our eyes on the Kaaba so that it permanently leaves an imprint on my mind and on my heart and on the mind and heart of my children and my family, we can make it happen. Allah Ta'ala can make it happen. Right? Nothing is beyond Him. You know, there are people who I know who have a lot of wealth. A lot of wealth. They could go to Umrah every two weeks if they wanted to. And Allah Ta'ala hasn't given them the tawfiq to go for 10, 15, 20 years. And there are people I know that are below the poverty line. From here, from this country, Allah Ta'ala invites them. They make, the they make an intention and a sacrifice and Allah Ta'ala takes them there. It's a priority they've made in their life. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he is deserving of us visiting him. You know, and so we should make this a priority. That at least at some interval, whatever we're able to afford, whatever we're able to do with a little bit of sacrifice on our part, that we go and visit the Prophet And of course, by that token, we go and visit you know, the sacred spaces. It, will, it can potentially save our deen. These places are to be preserved until the Day of Judgment. These two cities are to be preserved until the Day of Judgment. Fitnas can't enter these spaces. The Dajjal can't enter this. The Dajjal can come here. But he can't go there. So we had to make it a priority. We should make an intention that we should make an intention, we should make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He take us and He take our families there. And at some regular interval we should make this possible. It'll be the best vacation you'll ever have. It'll be the best vacation you ever take. So the three ways, number one, is that we should uh, number one, 
so sorry, let me take a step back. And we're talking about growing the heart and growing the soul such that this permanent flame of Iman can remain burning within us so that we stay excited about deen. The second principle that we're covering is that it requires an affinity with the Prophet it requires an affinity with the Prophet And the way to loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through the Prophet Three practical ways by which we can do so is number one, is to study the life of the Prophet and specifically study his seerah about those hardships that he undertook so that the message could reach us, number one. Number two is that at some consistent interval every single day, we send salawat on him. Not arbitrary, not random. A fixed number of salawat that we say every day I'm going to send on him. Ultimately, it benefits me anyway, not him. And the third is we should make an intention and we should make an effort to visit him. We should make an intention and we should make an effort to visit him. The area around him, the most pious and the, the greatest, the, the, the ashiqeen of the Prophet they retreat there at the end of their life. We should be there too. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to recognize uh, this important, the, the importance of an affinity with the Prophet May Allah ta'ala uh, uh, grant us uh, his company in the hereafter. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, forgive us for the years of negligence that uh, we've shown toward him. Wa akhir da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.